this week I was reading a story about a lady in the airport. And if you have flown recently, like you know it is more complicated than it has ever been, especially apparently if you're trying to fly out of Dublin right now. It's a mess. But this lady was documenting kind of what her, her story was like. And so she was in the airport and she had that dreaded announcement that comes over the, the loudspeaker. Sorry, the flight, whatever it may be, has been delayed. And she had to spend the few hours just waiting in the airport for her flight that had been delayed. So she popped into one of the shops. She grabs a magazine and a bag of biscuits. And she, she plops down in the seat and she starts reading her magazine. The next thing she knows, she starts hearing this ruffling noise. And the guy next to her has opened her biscuits and is starting to eat them. And the lady, she doesn't really know what to do. She's kind of caught back by this. And she, she doesn't want to be confrontational. She doesn't want to make a scene. So she thinks the best thing I can do is I can start eating the biscuits as well and he'll get the hint that these are mine. So she goes and she takes one and she starts eating it. A few minutes later, she hears the ruffle in the bag again. He's gone and he takes another one. And so she was like, okay, fine, I'm gonna take another one. And they just go until they get to the end of the bag. There's one biscuit left. And the guy goes in, he grabs it, breaks it in half, hands the half to the lady, he eats the other half of the biscuit. And she is just like, what is going on here? Like, why would this be possible? I know things are complicated flying, but this is just a little too much. And so the guy, he gets up and leaves once the biscuits are done being eaten. And she sits there, she finishes her magazine. And finally, the, the delay of her flight is done. And she goes to get her passport and her boarding pass. And when she opens her purse, she realizes that her bag of biscuits is sitting in her purse. So the whole time, she thought they were eating her biscuits, but the reality was he, she was eating his biscuits. And like, something needed to happen. You guys ever had one of those moments where everything you thought was true turned out to be wrong or different? You ever had one of those moments where you just thought, okay, this is what I believe, this is what is happening, and then you're faced with this moment of like, wait a second, that's just not the case anymore. We've looked at something the wrong way. This week, I was doing some research about relearning and unlearning skills. This is actually like a fascinating some research. If you want to get down a rabbit hole, you can start studying this. Like, there's a lot of fascinating things about this. But like, one of the things that people are talking about when it comes to relearning things, or you have to unlearn some things. And the reason we do this is so that we can make room for more relevant, more up-to-date information. And here's what we find is unlearning things it can take up to a year to unlearn some things. Like you guys know this to be true. It is easier to, to like start a habit than it is to stop a habit. Just think about if you're trying to get healthy, you're starting to like choose a healthy lifestyle. Like that's difficult, not because you're starting a new habit of exercising and eating healthy, but because you're having to stop the habit of, of not exercising and not eating healthy. And what they find in the research is the smarter you are, the more difficult it is to unlearn something because you're smart and you think, I know this, I know what is true. And as we look at our text today, we see these guys, the Pharisees, these guys are clearly, they're clearly smart. Over the last five to 10 years, there's been a rise in this thing that per perhaps you've heard of it, fake news. Anybody, anybody heard of this? Here's, here's one of the problems with fake news. It's fake. But one of the bigger problems is the fact that once we read something, whether it's true or not, we already form an opinion about it. And what research is finding is when people read these fake news articles, whether it be on Facebook, Instagram, web, websites, whatever it may be, even when these people are presented with the reality, the truth, and the facts, they don't want to believe it. Why? 
because they have already formed an opinion. There's already this belief that has happened. And there's these things that they've begun to understand, these things that they thought were true, that we have a hard time removing ourselves from. And so this is kind of the premise I want us to start with this morning. Is sometimes, in order to learn the truth about Jesus, we have to unlearn what we thought we knew. Sometimes, in order to learn the truth about Jesus, we have to unlearn what we thought we knew. And this is one of the reasons, as a church, we talk about this almost every week. We value questions, and this is why. Because every single one of us, when we come to the Bible, we are coming from it from a different perspective. We have heard different things, whether it be from a pastor or a, preach, or a priest or a teacher or a parent or somebody on TV. We are coming to the Scriptures with a different lens. And so what we need to do, some of us, is we need to unlearn some things so that we can learn the reality about Jesus. And as I think back to my own life, I am thankful for the things that I've been able to unlearn, these things that I thought were true, and then presented with the reality of the scriptures. I find out that they're not. And sometimes that's what we need to do. And if there were ever some people who needed to unlearn some things, if there were ever some people who needed to relearn something, it was the Pharisees in regards to the Sabbath. We see in our text today, if there was ever someone who needed to make some room for some more up-to-date, more relevant information, it was the Pharisees. So let's go ahead and let's go take some time. If you're already in your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Mark 2, and then we'll dive into Mark 3 as well. We're just going to work our way through the story and kind of learn what we've, what's going on here. But before we do, I just want to acknowledge something. I think it's important for us to come to a text and get a little bit of the cultural idea of what is happening. Because these are real people. This isn't written in isolation. These are real people and real, real stories. So as we read about the Pharisees, like sometimes if you're anything like me, you read Pharisees, you immediately think they're the bad guys. And a lot of times in the, story, in the scriptures, sure, it could be true. But what we have to agree, we have to see with the Pharisees is these are very pious people, very spiritual people. And in Jesus' day, what would have happened is many Jewish people, like the Pharisees, would have believed that the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the King, would be closely connected with the, the religiousness, the, the piety of the Jewish people. So we see this with Paul. When Paul is like trying to, to get rid of the, the people of Jesus, like they didn't think Jesus was King, and they were like, for the Messiah to come, we've got to get rid of this false teaching. And so to be Jewish is to keep the Sabbath. To be the religious leaders, they think that the coming of the Messiah is tied to how well they keep the laws. And so let's just kind of keep that in mind as, as we begin to walk through the scripture together. So let's look at verses 23 and 24. One day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, I think it's important for us, first of all, like it says Jesus was walking through a grain field. More than likely, Jesus isn't just like plowing straight through a field. Like that just wouldn't be a good idea. Jesus is walking around and there's grain fields near. Like he's just not like, let's just make a track through this person's field. Like that's not what's happening here. But what we begin to see is like the Pharisees, they will stop at nothing to try to discredit Jesus. They're literally watching the disciples eat. Like this is, this is the point that we've reached now. They're watching what they are doing. They're seeing this moment here. And this isn't the point of the story, but I think it's important for us to realize as, as followers of Jesus, there is a watching world. People who are looking to see, are we doing the things that we say that we're going to do? Are we living out what we say to be true about Jesus? Is what we say to be true, is it reflecting in our lives? There's a watching world. 
And so the Pharisees, they see what these guys are doing, and they immediately object to Jesus. Now, the objection isn't that they're stealing grain. That's not the problem here. Because in the Old Testament law, like this is allowed. You, as long as you didn't have a sickle and start cutting down people's grain, like you could go and pop a couple of heads off and eat a little bit. Like You could do that. That's not the objection. The objection here is they are working. By working, I mean they're taking the heads of grain and they're rubbing their hands together to get the chaff off of the, off the grain so that they can eat it. That's the objection. Oh, they're working. They're doing this. And they ask this question to Jesus. It's petty. It's not really important. But that's the issue here. That's what, we're, that's what they're taking objection with. And so Jesus answers them back, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when his companions were hungry? He went to the house of God during the days of Abner, the high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Now, the story Jesus is referring to is from 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. So if you want to read that after our time together, feel free. Very quick little update of what's happening here. When what's going on is David and his companions, they are on the run from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. And David, he's running from him, and they're hungry. And so they find this temple, they find this place of worship, and they go in and they, eat the, they ask for the bread that only the priest is allowed to eat. And the priest gives it to David anyway and lets them eat it because he, he realizes, and Jesus is, this is the point Jesus is making, is, is man's needs are more important than this ritual that we begin to see. And so this is the story that Jesus is referencing here. Jesus is, is talking to them about. And Jesus asked this question, haven't you ever read the scriptures? And really, it's a rhetorical question because to be a Pharisee means by the time they were eight years old, they would have memorized, committed to memory, the entire Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Have you ever read Leviticus? Like, it's, it's hard to read, let alone trying to memorize. These guys would have committed that to memory by the age of at least 10. By the time they were 15, the entire Old Testament would have been committed to memory. So when Jesus says, have you ever read the story? They're like, of course I've read the story. And yes, I can quote it to you. Here you go, Jesus. And so Jesus is asking them this question. Is like, the, the real question is, how, could you be, how can you be so blind? How can you read something over and over again? How can you hear something so often and just completely miss the point? How can you have something committed to memory but miss the entire point of what is happening in the story? That's what Jesus is asking. Back when I was in university, getting to be more years than I care to admit at this point, I was taking this class called Christian Evidences. And on our final exam, there was a question about something about Jesus. I don't actually remember the question, but it was a very specific question that we talked about in class, like almost the start of the semester. The problem was I couldn't remember the answer that for the, the legitimate, the, for the specific question. And this was my last question. And it was one of those written book questions where you have to like write essays and stuff like that about the questions. And I had 45 minutes left. My last question. And so I spend the next 45 minutes just writing every single thing that I know to be true about Jesus. I fill up three and a half pages about Jesus in my last 45 minutes. I turn my exam in. And when I get my grade, my teacher writes over that question, Luke, this is all true. It's, it's just not the point. And he, he also writes, I was hoping you'd talk about a little bit of what we talked about in class. Like that, those moments, right? Like this is the Pharisees. Okay, this is true, but you're just missing 
you're missing the point. And friends, there is a difference in knowing the right things and actually doing the right things. There's a difference in knowing things and, and doing them. There's a difference in knowing the story of David and understanding. And if you don't, uh, don't believe me, talk to anyone who has ever been in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex for any period of time. We will all agree there's a difference in knowing and understanding. And this is what we see here. Like, this is what Jesus is, is challenging them to, to see. Is like, guys, you've missed it. You've missed the point of this passage that you spent your life memorizing. You've missed it here. And the irony of all of this is the Sabbath was meant to be something that brought people closer to God, and they have made it something that, that chases people away, that turns people away from getting to know him better. So let's keep reading in our story. Verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. I love the way that the NIV translates this. It just says, Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. Think about that. The Sabbath was made for man. And I just want to really quickly help us to grasp what the Sabbath is. Like, we're not going to spend a lot of time, like, diving into detail about the Sabbath because we did that a few months ago. So if you want to go back to our podcast and check that out when we talked about that, feel free to do that. But in short, the Sabbath is, it's, it's a day of rest. It's a day of renewal. It's a day where we pause and we don't do our regular work so that we can be renewed, we can be restored, we can abide with God and just be in his presence where everything else just begins to fade away and we just spend that time with God. Like the, a great way to, to think about it is a day of worship. It's a day of prayer. It's a day of rest. It's a day of abi abiding in him. The Sabbath was meant to be a liberating experience. A day of freedom. What the Pharisees have done is they have turned this into a day that is burden, burdensome. They have turned this into a day of captivity. And this is, this is what they do. The Pharisees, they love to overcomplicate, like, everything. Okay, so here's this one law, this one requirement, one command. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Good. So what the Pharisees decide to do is, like, okay, like, that, that command, it's just a little vague. And so what they do is they create 39 other laws to go around this one law. And I just want to share some of these laws for you. Like, here's what, here's what happens. Here's, here's, the, here's some of the 39. This is what it means to not keep the Sabbath. One who sows, one who plows, one who reaps, one who gathers, sheaves in a pile. One who threshes, one who removes a kernel from a husk. There's the problem there. Uh, one who, who needs dough, one who bakes, also go on. Uh, one who shears wool, one who whitens it, one who dyes it, one who stretches it on a loom, one who unites it and unties it in a knot. Continues on, more work. One who traps a deer, one who slaughters it, one who frays it, one who salts it, one who tans the hide, one who smooths it, one who removes the hair and veins, one who cuts it from measured parts, one who writes two letters and erases one, one who builds a structure, one who dismantles it, one who extinguishes a fire, one who kindles a fire, one who strikes a blow with a hammer, one who carries an object from domain to domain. And we could go on. This is how you turn a blessing, blessing into a burden. 
This is how you turn something that was meant to be freeing into captivity. This is how you were turning something that was meant to be refreshing and renewing into anything but. And I also think it's important for us to realize like the intention behind this is good. Like they want to help people keep this very important law of, of keeping the Sabbath. Like not to keep the Sabbath we see in the Old Testament is punishable by death. And so they, the intention is good. Just the final results is anything but. Let's continue on verse 26, 28, sorry, 28. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So what Jesus is doing here is Jesus isn't just spending this time talking about a new teaching on the Sabbath. But what's really important for us is what Jesus is doing is he is claiming authority over the Sabbath. He's also using this very bold and deep claim, once again, the son of man. So what Jesus is saying, hey, that, that command that God put in that very famous list of rules, the Ten Commandments, he's saying, I have authority over that. It's a bold claim. So once again, this is a claim to his deity. This is a claim to saying, I am on par. I am on level with God. I have authority over this day that was given by God to be a command. Look at verse 1, chapter 3. Let's keep reading. Start here. Jesus went into the synagogue again. Now, when we read stories like this, like sometimes like we tend to think, okay, this is all happening in chronological order. We don't actually know exactly when Jesus went into the synagogue again. Um, but what Mark is doing for us is he is brilliantly putting these two stories together, linking them together to give us a very significant and a very important teaching about the Sabbath. He is forcing us and he's forcing the Pharisees to see some things differently. He is forcing the Pharisees to see something in its entirety. He's forcing them. When we read this, we have to take the, the Sabbath and we have to look at it differently than what maybe we've all ever believed before. This week I was reading about this, this photo gallery called like Up Close Pictures. You guys ever heard of this? Where what they do is they take a, a zoom lens, a magnifying glass lens, and they just take pictures of everyday objects. Like this is becoming kind of a cool thing. And so I've got a few of them here that I want to show you on the screen. Here, here's one of them. Looks pretty neat. Anybody got a guess of what that is? That's mold on your bread. Like, looks cool, right? Looks pretty neat, but that, that's what it is. Here's another one. Anybody got any guesses of what this is? This is a kitchen sponge. Uh, so zoomed in really close. This is, this is my favorite one here. Any guesses what this is? Rug, kind of looks like a rug. It's actually the pages of a book. This is, this is the pages of a book zoomed in very closely in a magnifying lens. Now, I'll be real honest. That looks super cool, right? That looks pretty neat. I'm not paying a few thousand euro to put that on my, in my house. Like, I'm not buying that picture or, or like the picture of mold like I'm not paying big money to put that in my house because when we zoom in so closely it may look cool we may see some things but we miss the miss the point we miss the entirety of it these 39 rules and laws that the Pharisees have built around the Sabbath they've zoomed so close in they focused on the minutiae they focused on this tiny little details that they miss the point that they miss the point of the Sabbath, that it's meant to be a day that makes us closer to God, that it's meant to be a day of renewal and refreshment. And so 
what Jesus is doing for us here. By, by, when Mark links these two stories together, he is forcing us to merge together our beliefs, our hearts, and our actions. He's forcing us to say, okay, you believe this to be true about the Sabbath? Now here's what you have to do. Here's what it looks like to live this out. And here's the truth about the Sabbath. I want to make sure you guys hear this. Is the Sabbath is a gift. Do you think of it that way? Do you think of this day that Jesus, God has given us as a, as a gift? Like when we read through all the different rules and stuff that are going on there, it seems like anything but. But this day is a day that it's, it's a gift. There, there is meant to be freedom and joy in the Sabbath. Sabbath is something that is meant to bring life to our lives, joy to our souls, and refreshment to our hearts. Like that's what this day is meant to do. And so by healing on the Sabbath, Jesus showed us the true intent and reason for it. And that's freedom. The Sabbath day, it is meant to be a day that is free, free of rush, free of hurry, free of stress, free of work, free of worry, free of pressure. It's just to be a day where we can just enjoy God where we have the freedom to enjoy him and to be with him. Like that is a beautiful gift that God has given us here. And so what we're going to see in just a few minutes when Jesus gets ready to heal this lad with the disformed hand is he wouldn't have been able to fully experience this. He wouldn't have been able to fully enjoy this this freedom that was offered on this day of the Sabbath. He wasn't able to fully enjoy this communion, this connection with God. So let's keep reading verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Once again, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he noticed a man with a disformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. There's a few little phrases that I want to make sure we catch here. First is I love the phrase, Jesus, what it says of Jesus, he noticed a man. Of course he did. Because that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He notices people that other people overlook. He notices people who are, who are in pain. He notices people who are hurting. He notices those who are broken. He notices people. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus noticed them. And not only does the phrase Jesus noticed them, but we see this of the Pharisees, or the, the religious leaders. He says, they watched him closely. They planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus has already picked up a bit of a reputation, right? Like people are already starting to know, okay, when Jesus notices someone who is broken, he wants to make them whole. And they know what Jesus is going to do. They, so they sit back and they watch, is Jesus going to do what we think he is going to do? There's this beautiful reputation that Jesus has already began to pick up. Jesus notices people, he notices broken, he notices hurting people, and he heals them because that's what Jesus does. Man, I just got a question for us, like, what about us? What, what about you? Do you notice people? And when you do, what are people expecting you to do? Are they expecting us just to walk by, to, to avoid our... Do we notice people? Do we see people? This is what Jesus does. And the heavy irony here that we see, once again, is this, there's so much irony that's going through these passages. Is the, the religious leaders are already expecting Jesus to heal this guy. 
what does that say about the, the authority and the deity of Jesus? If they already think, okay, he's probably going to heal this guy. Like, what, what is beginning to happen here? What does that say about his identity? Let's read again. Keep going in, in verse 3. Jesus said to the man with a disformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And this guy, this guy, is, he's nothing more than a pawn for the, for the Pharisees. That is all that they're thinking of this guy of, is a way that we can trap, trap Jesus of violating the Sabbath. You want to start looking for violations? Like, why don't we look at like, using people as a means to an end? Why don't we start there? But these guys, there's, there's, there's nothing more here. And what the, the fact is, is like if people, if these religious leaders would have seen this man, if they would have noticed this man the way that Jesus does, they would have known, they would have wanted Jesus to do what Jesus is going to do. One thing I love about Jesus, there's a lot, but one of the things I love about Jesus is, is Jesus knows that these guys are trying to trap him. Like Jesus is very much aware of what is happening here because we, we read in a, a previous passage, a previous story, like Jesus not only can hear, know people's thoughts, he can answer their thoughts. Like this is not a surprise of what these people are trying to do to Jesus. Yet he heals the man anyway. Jesus, he used his life to serve others rather than save himself. Friends, is that true of us? Are our lives used to serve other people? Or are they used to, to satisfy, save ourselves, make ourselves look a little better? Are we dedicating our lives to serving those who are in need, those who, who don't know the goodness of God? Or are we dedicating our lives to serving other people or are our lives more focused and centered on ourselves? Like Jesus, his life, he is not focused on himself. He notices this man and he cares about this guy. Because here's, here's what could have happened. Jesus knows like, the consequences of what could happen here. So Jesus could have gone over to this guy with a disformed hand and been, hey, buddy, so there's this house down the road. You, you won't miss it. It's got a hole in the roof. Like, if you will just meet me there, I'll heal you. We'll be in private, away from prying eyes, and you'll be good to go. Jesus could have done that. Jesus could have even said to the man, hey, let's just step out here around this back alley where they're not watching us, and I'll heal you, and everything will be fine. Jesus could have done that. I mean, Jesus could have even walked up to the guy and just been like, look, dude, when you leave, when you get out of here, your hand's going to be fixed. So don't worry anymore. Like, don't worry. Like, everything's going to be taken care of. Like, Jesus could have done that. Jesus could have even told him, hey, you've been like this for a while. What, what's one more day? Come back tomorrow. I'll sort your hand out. Jesus could have done that. But you know, as well as I do, if you have been suffering, you know one more day is, is a long time. That's not what Jesus does, does it? Listen to what Jesus does. Once again, he says to the man, he says in verse 3, come and stand in front of everyone. Jesus isn't trying to hide this. Jesus isn't trying to be like, okay, I'll, I'll take care of you, but I don't want you to tell anyone. I don't want anyone to see this. No, Jesus is like, hey, buddy, let's come and make sure everybody can watch what's about to happen here. Read verse 4. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day of doing evil? Is this the day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. Notice how in the previous story, when Jesus is doing some things, Jesus' disciples are doing some things on a Sabbath, they are real chatty. They want to question Jesus about what's happening here. But now, when Jesus turns the tides on, and when Jesus asks the question, what does it say? It says, they wouldn't answer them. 
wouldn't answer him. Like when Jesus moves away from the theoretical and into the practical, they want nothing to do with the discussion. They want nothing to do with that because it is much easier just to sit back and say, this is what you should do. But Jesus is pressing in. It's like when the rubber meets the road, it's like, okay, are we actually going to live this out? They have nothing to say about this. They have nothing to do. What Jesus is wanting us to understand is this truth about the commands of God were never meant to be restrictive, but freeing. I want us to think about that for just a second. Like, we read through the scriptures and we think, oh, okay, now if I'm a follower of Jesus, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. Oh, Jesus, why'd you have to say that? Now I can't go do this. Like, that's a complete wrong way of thinking is the commands that God have are not meant to be restrictive, but they're, they're freeing. They're things that actually bring life and they bring joy. They bring pleasure and enjoyment to our souls because God knows what is best for us. He knows what's good for us. Like when I won't let Ava or Emma go play out in the street, I'm not being restrictive, am I? It's, it's freedom. It's like, I want you to be free. I want you to enjoy the life that you are meant to. Just think about this idea for driving. If there are no rules on the road, you can just do whatever you want, drive wherever you want, go as fast as you want. Some people do anyway. Um, but like you can just drive whatever lane, you can turn, you, can, you don't have to use your blinker, you just do whatever the heck you want on the road. Having a license, having a car is a very freeing experience. If you're driving in that, is that freedom? No, it's anything, but it's stressful. Like we don't want to do that. Think about, think about playing a game. Even something like as simple as, I don't know, Uno. All right, you, you have this game and like, if there are no rules to the game, it's not very fun to play. Like if we start out a game and I'm like, okay, by the way, I have unlimited lives because I make the rules. Like you guys still want to play the game? Nobody's going to want to play the game, right? Because it won't be freeing. It won't be fun. It won't be enjoyable. And what we see is the commands that God is laying out for us, especially when it comes to the Sabbath, man, this is not a restrictive thing. This is an absolutely freeing thing. It frees us. And so to, to but we see it's like to avoid and to overlook and to refuse the needs of people, it misses the point of the Sabbath. Like to overlook, to not notice people and not to care for the needs of people, like it misses the point. This is a day to help us become more like God and more like Jesus, not a day to become less. Let's read verse five. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And he said to the man, hold out your hand. This is something that isn't always very common in the Bible. It's a little rare that we get to see the emotions of someone. Usually the, the Bible is just like very straightforward. But when we, get, we see this with Jesus, we actually get a look into his emotions. So any detail that we see in scripture, they're really important for us. It says that Jesus is angry and he is deeply saddened. He, he's angry because of their hypocrisy. He's angry because of their, their lack of compassion for this man. He's deeply saddened because their hearts are hard and they refuse to see this day for what it is. They refuse to see this man for what he is. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 3 what these guys are called. They're called Jesus's enemies. These people who are meant to speak for God are enemies of his son. We clearly see, like when Jesus heals this man, we clearly see that the Sabbath is a day that is meant to be renewed, and a day that's meant to be restoring, right? a day that's meant to be restoring. 
Here's a fun fact about the book of Mark is this is the only place in the entire gospel of Mark where Jesus heals someone who did not approach him or did not initiate the healing. This is the only place in Mark's gospel that we see that. Because Jesus wants these people to understand this is what, this is what life is. And so what Jesus is teaching us, what Jesus is helping us understand is there is a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. I mean, yeah, sure, Jesus, Jesus acknowledges that, that David was wrong to eat the food. He says, yeah, against, your, against the law, against the, the letter of the law, David was wrong. But Jesus goes on to say, but the spirit of the law always cares for the needs of the people. Always is more important. People's needs are more important than these religious rituals. Jesus says it, he condones, he allows working on the Sabbath for these his disciples who are hungry, who are eating grain by healing this man because he's like, once again, he's saying this day is meant to be a day that restores people. It is meant to be a day that, that is for, that helps people. It's meant to be a joyous, a joyous celebration. And here's what we, we begin to see is there's this walking this line between legalism, which the Pharisees are falling in, and relativism, saying, I can do whatever I want. And so we begin to walk this line as we begin to understand the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And here's what, here's what happens. The Pharisees would have, or the, the rabbis, they would have sat down and they would have, they, they spent some time discussing like, okay, what kind of medical attention is allowed on the Sabbath? And so the, the conclusions that they come to is if there is someone whose life is being threatened, then medical attention is allowed on the Sabbath. Um, midwives, midwives were allowed to work on the Sabbath because if you've ever had a baby or seen that happen, like the baby's not like, okay, it's Sabbath, I'll come tomorrow. Like they know like this is something that cannot wait. Circumcision was allowed to happen on the Sabbath on the eighth, if it fell on the eighth day for a male because that was a religious act. And so they were allowed to do that. But this guy, his life's not in danger. I mean, he's just got a crippled hand. And so they say, no, his life is not in danger. You can't heal this guy because all that's wrong with him is his hand is crippled. And here's what I want us to see is there is more to life than just living. There is more to life than just simply being alive. What we find if we grasp this story, if we look all the way back to that, that lovely book of Leviticus, what we find is that somebody with a, a disformed hand, somebody who was lame like this, he wouldn't have been allowed into the temple. He wouldn't have been allowed to go into the place to worship God. He would not have been allowed to have this experience, this free experience of truly worshiping God the way that he was meant to. And so when Jesus heals him, he is giving them this opportunity to worship again, to worship correctly. He is giving them the social acceptance of him now being allowed in the temple to worship. This guy is missing out on what his soul was made for and what his heart longed for. And that was closer relationship with God. And so in this day, Jesus is giving him that back. Isn't that what a Sabbath is for? To be closer to and growing closer to God. And what this guy gives, what Jesus gives this guy, what the Sabbath gives us is, is freedom. And living in freedom was Jesus' heart. Living in freedom, this is what Jesus desires for us. And this is what Jesus' heart. Now, this freedom might look a little different than we think. 
Jesus gives us the ultimate example of what it looks like to live in freedom. And Paul, he picks up on this idea in Galatians 5. So two of my favorite verses in all the Bible come from Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 6 says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Galatians 5.13 says, You have been called to freedom, my dear brothers and sisters. But do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So I just have a couple of stories of people who are living out their freedom to, to love one another. I recently read a letter of a dad with MS that he had had transcribed for his, his teenage son. And he wrote about a, a trip to Val, a Valentine's Day date that he had with his wife. And I want us to catch the story that he writes. He says, A date night means your mom has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, and comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and into the garage, take the pedals off of my wheelchair, stand me up, turn me around, sit me down in the seat, and twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold up the wheelchair, put it in the trunk, go to the other side of the car, start it, back it out, and get out of the car and close the garage door, get back in the car and drive to the restaurant. Then... She says, then she gets me out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, pushes the pedals down, closes and locks the door, wheels me to the restaurant, takes the pedals off my wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit there and we have dinner, which means she feeds me one bite at a time through the entire meal. When it's over, she pays the bill, pushes me out of the car again, and in reverse does the same tedious routine. When it's all over and finished and we're back inside the house, she'll look at me and say, honey, Thank you for taking me out to dinner. I never know quite what to say. You've been called to freedom, my dear brothers and sisters. But do not use your freedom to serve your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let me introduce you to another couple. Their names are Elizabeth and Ted Morris. Their 18-year-old son, uh, Elizabeth and Frank Morris, sorry, Elizabeth and Frank Morris, their 18-year-old son, Ted, was home from university on break for Christmas. And he decided that he was going to get a job during break so he could make a little extra money. And it was getting late, and Elizabeth was getting worried. He should have been here by now. His shift ended hours ago. And then Elizabeth gets the call that no parent ever wants to get. There's been an accident. And come to find out that there was this guy that he's been in a head-on collision. And the guy driving the other car, his name was Tommy Piggage. And Tommy had been at a party, and he had gotten incredibly drunk, and his friends begged him not to drive, but he did it anyway. And as he was driving, he blacked out, and he didn't even see Ted's car. Ted died the next morning. And so the, the trial started a month later, and Tommy and Elizabeth, when they went to the trial, they were outraged when, when the guy who hit his son pleaded not guilty. The trial was delayed for two years. Until finally, Tommy pleaded, had a plea deal that let him free on probation. And so he was free, and Elizabeth, the mom, she began having revenge fantasies where she would kill Tommy, the guy who, who killed her son. The problem was, is that Elizabeth was a follower of Jesus. And so she takes her pain to the father. She prays, and she realizes that, that he knows what it's like to have an innocent son murdered. And so she begins this relationship with Tommy. She begins praying for him and, and meeting with him periodically. She gets to know Tommy and he comes from a broken home. That his family has a, a history of alcoholism. Not long after, Tommy breaks his, <coughs> breaks his uh, parole agreement. And he's sentenced to three months in prison. 
while he's there, Tommy or Elizabeth and Frank, they visit him in prison regularly. They get to know him. They share the gospel with them. And when he gets out, they continue to have him over and they continue to get to know him and talk with him more and more. And then one night, the Morrises and Tommy drive to their church where, where Frank baptizes their son's killer. They, they see him every Sunday. They always they go to church together. They go out to dinner after church every single week. Tommy calls them every single day. You've been called to freedom, my dear brothers and sisters. But we do not use our freedom to satisfy our sinful nature. Rather, we serve one another in love. And this is what we are seeing here. Jesus is willing. Jesus is saying, you know what? My life, it doesn't matter. I'm willing to lay down my life. He ultimately lays down his life. But for this man, it's like this guy, this one need is more important than me. Jesus lives, lives this one at a time life. This one guy mattered in this moment more than anything else. He uses his life to, to, to share the God. He uses his life so people can, can get to know God. He serves. He does this. Maybe as we read this story, once again, we're faced kind of with the same situation. We're faced with the same question. as like, I can't heal a man's crippled hand. I can't. I'm certainly not the Lord over the Sabbath. So what do we do? How can we be like Jesus? How can we do like Jesus did? Can we do what Jesus did? We live with this other's first mentality. This willing to say, my life is not just about me. My life is to be used to serve the needs of other people, to love other people. We see Jesus tells us this. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus ultimately on the cross, he shows us what it looks like. To, to, sh to care for other people more than ourselves. The story ends in verse 6, says this. And once the Pharisees, at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Once again, heavy irony here. While Jesus is preparing to do good, they're plotting to kill him. Which one is the real Sabbath violation? Here we are. A little more than two chapters in Mark's gospel. And Mark, once again, he is forcing us in, an, in a way to choose sides. He is forcing us, whose side are you going to be on? Who are you going to choose? Are you going to side with Jesus? Or are you going to side with, without, not with Jesus? Like the Pharisees, they say no to Jesus' authority. They say no to Jesus' deity. They say no to his lordship. They're saying no to that. So, so what about you? What do you say about Jesus? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are.